0: This call may be recorded or transcribed.
1: Hello, my father.
0: Uh, hi, Ernie. How are you, Ma?
1: good. It's a quiet hey, day well. for me this afternoon. I do not I do not Say have to get the kids today. It's a you quiet Friday. <laughs> you don't have to but go Papa to the condo. Oh, to... well, okay. that too, hopefully. but But Papa is huh. now... Able to drive. Official. He got his driver's Official. license. Okay, that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. That's and great. so. Yeah. So
0: he does it on so, Friday. Yeah. I mean,
1: yeah. Well, we're trying. This is the first time where he's going without me um, because normally during the week, Unley uh, shows up. Uh, her, her school ends at three, and then we are have to get on the bus, and so we have trains to, to meet him. And so there's a lot more complexity yeah. during the week, and so we figured for his first quote-unquote solo trip just have him yeah. do Anjali because she gets out at 2 p.m. Whereas Rowan is still out at 3 p.m.
0: He's going to come by bus. Uh, although the, the big thing is
1: school? that if Rowan will come by he the bus come. to El- the elementary El- school later, yeah, we only have to pick him up at the El- Yeah, which is certainly way better than last year when we had to pick him up on campus because the buses were not running. Um, oh, this week, uh, uh, Mama is actually driving with him, which is uh, she hasn't because I've been driving with Papa, and he's just doing practice runs. I don't think Mama has driven with Papa for a few months, okay. and so this is a, a novel. This is uh, something she has to get used to is him driving, especially since he's been driving on freeways a lot. So there's a, uh, a learning curve. Of even even Papa's been driving off and on with his international license, since we've been going through this training thing, both Sandia and Mama have to get used to Papa driving by himself again. So... Right, right. The uh, transition yeah. process we're all going through. At least today, from my perspective, I don't have to. You Kids, know, so I get to stay at home and walk the dogs, and because if you work in between a little bit of work in between my podcast. Okay,
0: um, I have a confession to make. Yes. Um. I really like Neville Shute's way of writing the story. As opposed mm-hmm. to the other guy who studied last time, I didn't like his style, and okay. I couldn't put the I couldn't put the book down. So, so you read ahead to I the finished, end. I went finished all the way to the end, and then uh, the, you know you remember. I think you guys gave me or Larry or you or both gave me three books of Neville Shute for a birthday ah. or something like that. So mom found them and brought them up. So I finished one of those books too. It's so about 260 pages. <laughs> I couldn't put that one down either. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, still, so, but but I don't think this should affect our discussion any. Uh,
1: because... Well, so uh, all, but Yeah, and plus we both read this book before, right? Even though yeah, it was a right. long time ago. Yeah. Right, but this is good. So this way you have the advantage of... Having a clear memory of how the story goes, the way that I sort of did with the last book, right? Right, right, yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see how you handle the question of, oh, I could say this thing, but would that be a spoiler, or is that a reasonable point to make, given I mean, the, with point you, of the story? you, I don't think. Uh,
0: I I don't think with you it will happen.
1: <laughs> so Find out, yeah, right? Because you know, it's funny. The thing that's interesting to me, you uh, remember last week for the, the, the Zelazny novel, the yeah. framing question that I used was, who's the good guy and who's the bad guy? Right. right. Because of the, and in this story, there's no real bad guy as far as I can tell. Um, right. You know, there's just some conflict and tension. But the, the more interesting question for me at this stage is, what is this book about? Okay because yeah. when I, well, this I, the way I remember I the book when I was a kid, yet. Yeah. we haven't come
0: well, to that well, part yet yeah.
1: well yeah. that's one of the questions I had right is that okay. like when I looked at Wikipedia for example when I was looking at yeah. the link to the story it said well this is the story of an airplane mechanic named Constantine and so okay. the hmm. uh, and that was how I thought about it it's about airplanes and it's about this guy Constantine the funny thing is, author mm. spends two whole chapters, mm. fairly long ones, where Constantine is a bit player in the first chapter right. and almost irrelevant, one line. almost invisible in the second chapter. Yeah, one line. He's <laughs> got yeah, literally one line, yeah. And it's like, huh, <laughs> this book is about Constantine. Why mm. is he so peripheral? in what's going on in the first two chapters.
0: See Ernie, I answered again, we are we are doing it differently. We're not doing a book study. We are doing a chapter study here. That's why you right. have a question. Because uh because most of the time when you're writing a book, you
1: need to lay some background, right? What? Well yes and no, right? But the the the, the interesting question to me and the reason I like doing this chapter to tie thing is this is mm. how I experience life. Okay. Right. Is, is that like, mm. we don't know what the end game is. We're not even sure mm. what the story is about or whether we're a major character or a minor character. And all we well, can do is
0: sort uh, of. <laughs> but at my age, I think <laughs> we know the end game pretty
1: we don't know exactly how it's going know. to happen, but. Well, you know that there's uh, going to be an end, but I don't think, you know, I'm not even sure uh, we know you're in, Father, is that, like, well, for example, maybe you feel like you have some um, sense of, uh, like, for example, Papa, who's only a few years younger than you, he, hmm. you know, two years ago was living in India. Yeah. And in the last 18 months, he has moved to the U.S., got a green card, got a driver's license, got insurance, yeah, uh, Like, his whole life is radically different than it was 18 months ago. And he's right. trying to figure out, like, what is his next next act? Right? Yeah, but that's and different. Yeah. Uh,
0: everybody's story is different, right? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the... Uh, he's doing what uh, we did, you know, in 1967. He's
1: moving to a new country. In some ways, yes. Yeah. Right. Some ways. Yeah. But you, like, uh, you, you definitely knew you were... It's like, hey, but for him, it's like you were trying to figure out what's your sort of your, but even then I remember it's interesting right? because your vision of what you were doing in 1967, if I recall, like most Indians is, I'm just going to get trained and go back to India.
0: Yeah, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah, The story you thought yeah, you were You can't were even in, compare
0: his story like, to mine. Yeah, no, his story is different from mine.
1: Yeah.
0: I, but the interesting but, thing
1: is that mm-hmm. while you were in one story, it turned out to be a different story.
0: It can still happen, yeah, but, but, but the thing well, is... Well,
1: you're not going to go back to India, right? That, that, that story is not
0: going to happen at this point. Pretty sure. Yeah, that's not going to happen. But um, uh, I'm also, you know, at a stage, you know, if we were taking, studying this book in uh, 2004, that would be a different perspective because I would have just mm-hmm. retired and i know i should work and things like that but now most of that is done and i'm studying for my finals right uh, it's just um and i know from a religious point of view spiritual point of view i know where i'm going so i know how it's going right. to end what how uh, not, not what's going to happen when i die but not how it's going to happen we don't know and when it's going to happen we don't know because yeah right. uh, yeah
1: yeah, yeah, and who knows Dad? for all we know, yeah I mean, this is not a high probability event, but like in terms of the legacy you leave behind, yeah. these podcasts with me may well be the most accessible way you know uh my grandchildren get to know you,
0: would be yeah, it's similar to nobody yeah if they still yeah. have podcasts
1: yeah. Yeah, but because like, you know there's this this is a Unusual, um, of transparency and visibility into our lives. Right? You, have, you ever seen right, the movie, right. um, um, what was it, *Onward*? The Pixar film. No. Probably not. You can watch it with our kids no. sometime. But it's about a, okay. a dad who dies when he was when his son was an infant, and the son mm. is turning sixteen, and all he remembers of his dad was a little cassette tape that his aunt had recorded where his dad just shows up and says a few words at the end. That's well, like I his see. only encounter with his that. Uh, father's voice. Now, of course, okay. you know, you've left other recordings and movies and all of my DBJ podcasts. Right. But in some sense, you know, what's interesting to me about this is I feel like our story is still being written about who, how oh, yeah. you and I relate to each other. You know, right, right, and, right. So that's, and that to me is really interesting, because there's a saying, you know, uh, uh, a girl ain't a woman till she be a mother, a boy ain't a man till he got no father.
0: Oh, really? You know, I never that, heard that. yeah. The, mm.
1: I, I, I may mean, have I just made that up a while ago, so it's going to be actually an old saying. But it sounds like an old thing, like it should be, because mm. there is, you know, it's not necessarily true, but there's a truth in there. Mm. And... I think I told you once before, right? When I was at Apple and Steve Jobs died, yeah. my first thought was, wow, this is what it's gonna feel like when my father passes away.
0: Mm, yeah, uh, yeah.
1: Because Steve Jobs defined my reality. He was the standard against which I'm, we measured success. Even if we don't always agree with him, uh, much mm. less like him, he was the sort of unarguable fact that defined our reality. Right. Just like, you know, right. the fact that you came to the U.S. and that you were a doctor and you chose to live in Rochelle. Like, the choices you made defined my reality, you know, for yeah. the first, pretty much entirely for the first 16 years of my life while well, you and mom together. Right. Um, right. And the choices you made and didn't make along those lines. Yeah. yeah. And even now in this sort of second adolescence that I've been going through the last five years, mm-hmm. uh, you know, five to seven years, it's been a significant shaping of my story, and vice versa. Anyway, that's a very long way of saying, Uh, what's interesting is that we are writing a story, and we're trying to figure it out as we go along. And that's what I love about this, and that's why it's interesting Mm. to me to look at the story, and for Mm. me to try and guess what the story is, and about, based on a clear memory of of the first two chapters, with only right. vague recollections of the rest of it.
0: Right, right. Yeah, but uh, but these are necessary and though. So, uh, these are necessary uh, to learning about Constantine um, because Constantine's story is intertwined with Tom Cutter's story, uh, even at this stage, because- And that was together, the interesting
1: question to me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But, uh, but here's the interesting together. thing to me. Uh, then yeah, Tom Carter is developing his own life, and all of a sudden, Connie uh, appears here at this stage. We don't right. know what's well, going to well, happen well, well, from now
1: on. Okay, but well, we, well, well, we do know from this context, right? So the, hmm. the focus of chapter two, hmm. so chapter one was Tom Cutter uh, falling in love with airplanes, uh, meeting Connie. Um, and then the war happened. He met a girl, married her, married her for like two weeks or whatever, and they yeah. were shipped off, as yeah. a civilian, to support the war effort. And he comes back only to find that she's dead. Yeah, right. So he had, uh, uh, you know, a, a a short and tragic marriage, and yeah. then he decides to launch this airplane business. And really, chapter two was mostly about him launching this airplane business and building a staff and crossing cultural barriers and all sorts of things. And what's Doesn't happening that is that business like my has grown. Story? Doesn't that sound like my story? Well, <laughs> this chapter, this why, do chapter. That,
0: <laughs> why do you say that, Father? Why do you say that? Because I came here across the ocean <laughs> and then started a practice, solo practice, in a almost a, a remote place. It, it, at the edge the of civilization, <laughs> right, yeah. And then- Kind of at the edge of civilization. I did, I, I, yeah, first, uh, first, you know, I got one office, and then I got another office in DeKalb, and another one in Sycamore, And then I bought my own bronchoscope, <laughs> my colonoscope, <laughs> and my own- Right, you're on the cutting scope. edge of
1: technolog- technological change <laughs> in an area that's yeah. underserved.
0: Yeah, lots finally, of
1: you know pe- patrons and sponsors uh, well, uh, I, who help I you I out.
0: On, yeah, I relied on other people supporting me, my referring doctors. Like this guy is relying on the oil companies to give him business and yeah. uh, things like that. And um, uh, I, I'm sure everybody's life a little bit like that. They all do some pioneering stuff. And uh, so at this stage of the game. And he is building up his practice, his his, his business side. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so because, uh, and, and I, and I one skilled yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. I identified with uh, him. Interesting, when did you did when did you first realize that you were identifying with him, some hunter, in that way?
0: Just right reading this chapter. <laughs> so for the first time oh,
1: like this time when you read through chapter two the first time you oh, yeah.
0: yeah. You no, notice no, that Yeah. This yeah. Actually, this week when I read it again. This, this week, again. I, okay, this week last when I read it again.
1: Because that was one of the questions that I had that I mm. found curious about last week, mm. is that I was looking at this thing like, huh, this is an interesting story. Mm. Um, and it's, it is surprising to me that the book's mm. really about Constantine, why the author spent so much time on Tom Cutter's marriage and, or and or failure there or lack thereof. Right well, because uh, you know, the, the the central plot at the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 is the tragic death of his wife.
0: I'm not going to answer the question on the ground that will incriminate me <laughs> because <laughs> uh, I read the book. So. Right. Uh, for for the time being, uh, we should wonder uh, because you are going by this book is about Constantine because of Wikipedia.
1: Well, I one, Wikipedia. Like that was not well, I didn't say that uh, this is the interesting question, right? I said that's if that is so, that's one. Let me just use the word hypothesis, if I may. Hmm. So if we can agree on the question, what is this book about? Hmm. And you know, one hypothesis is that the book is really about Constantine and his messianic yeah. movement that he's going to start with the airplane mechanics. He's like, okay, that's one possibility. But right. for me, the thing that's interesting about a hypothesis is saying, well, there's a lot of evidence for that, but there's also evidence yeah. that suggests otherwise. And it's interesting me to pull apart and say, okay, so that's a strong hypothesis that it's about Constantine. But another hypothesis, uh, you know, is that this is really about um, the airplane industry right, about what it was like growing up then, about the kind of people who made it and the fascination of it. And, you know, because he goes into loving detail about like the mechanics of buying an airplane and the logistics of running an airplane innovation. Like he really seems to care deeply about these things. And that's
0: another- it's More like about
1: running a, running
0: a, not, yeah, it's about airplanes, but also it's about uh, airplane business too, charter business. It's like Ernie. sometimes you cannot separate some of these things because if I'm writing my story, it is uh, completely intertwined with mom's story. And so if she's writing her story again, you cannot separate my part of it. And if you are writing your story, you cannot separate it from my story.
1: So that's, right? that's a really I think, deep insight father. Right. And I think that's the, the, the answer of course, the story is not about just one thing right right there's lots mm. of different things but the question is you know the and what makes it interesting to me is mm. to tease apart what are some of the different things this story is about or could mm. be about right mm. because it gives a different perspective on what the because this is this is in fact how i view life is like we know the author we know he has a purpose we've got mm. many different things he's got going on at once but what are the stories that he is telling through us? And, you know, I certainly feel like as I've gotten older, mm. I have a deeper understanding of the kinds of stories God likes to tell. And mm. therefore when something difficult happens, I can more readily look at and say, okay, rather than seeing it as a tragedy, which is uncorrupting the story I wanted to tell, I can mm. say, huh. There's a different story God wants to tell you. I wonder what that story is. Because, yeah. Precisely because it doesn't fit the easy narrative of my simplistic story.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: trusting the author. So, this is the exercise I wanted to go through that uh, I kind of got stuck on last week, uh, where I was like, I'm trying to figure out, how, what are some of the different stories that the author might be trying to tell here? Okay. So I call them perspectives. Uh, uh, I, I call them hypotheses what's
0: interesting i think it it may have been coloring you because you read the wikipedia thing because to me right now at this point is tom cutter's story um yeah actually i I think i agree i didn't think uh, i didn't think at all as i'm reading it i didn't think at all connie is an important part even though when i was 15 or 16 i read this or whatever and then maybe i read it again uh later on but Uh, But still, I I still think it's Tom Cutter's story without going into the rest of the book at this point. But uh, the reason I said that I identified with Tom Cutter's story is things happen at certain places and he meets certain people that shapes his uh, life. Uh, He says, you know, it so happened that I, uh, there was a plane available. It so happened that uh, there was a pilot uh, for the Indian Air Force who was also the bank clerk. It it so happened, you know, uh, he says that. So it uh, so happened that uh, this guy said this, uh, this guy set me up with this person and things like that with a second second, uh, plane and things like that. So, uh, again, that's what happened to me. Uh, so right. I identified with Tom Cutter, uh, and I think right, right now I still think
1: it's Tom Cutter's story. Right, and I, and I think that that's interesting to me because yeah, mm. I'm, I'm looking forward to te- to looking into that hypothesis more because mm. like I remember the things that happened to Constantine, but I don't really remember mm. what happens to Tom in that process. And so mm. that's fine. Like I'm not, I don't, I'm not stating an opinion about which no. is correct or true or how much he's true to but I'm trying to collect hypotheses without right. any sort of emotional investment in one or the other, just as a way right. of organizing the different threads of narrative. Right. And what was interesting to me is last week when I tried to do that, your reaction was, well, mm. well, that's wrong. Because mm. I, think, I, I was starting to wonder, if, is that because he's identifying with the lead character so much that if I say, well, Tom Cutter is doing this, you feel like I'm saying that you did this. And therefore it's it sort of slightly offensive. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, that's part of it, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so now I'm not sure how far
1: to go with my hypotheses
0: then. If we still we just leave that aside. There, and I mean, we can always change our mind, right? As we get, gather more facts and uh, more uh, uh, information, we gather more information, we can always change the hypothesis or go to another hypothesis, right?
1: Okay, well, the question is do you want to hear my hypotheses?
0: Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. Wrong well, with okay.
1: Wrong. So let's we let try the. So the first one was uh, that we talked about was that you know because he spent the author spent so much time on the tragic failure of Tom Cutter's marriage mm. and the fact that uh you know it struck me at least when I read the first half of chapter two that his primary motiv- they, like if it was just the love of airplanes mm. he would have been fine. Um, being the office job and working for the company that employed him during the war, yeah. the thing that drove him to go and start his own business was mm. this visceral sense: I can't stand to be in the place where my dead wife, where I met and, and you know knew my dead wife, and where her family, you would be there as a constant reminder of my you know, what he sees as his shameful failure. Yeah. So, yeah that's you know, and I thought yeah right and and and, and, and so what's interesting to me about the hypothesis is that, mm. like, huh, I wonder if this theme is a significant one that'll come back later. Uh, it may not, uh but it might uh religion hey. and shame are often deeply connected, so I'm just curious about that okay a
0: the, the couple of things there one of them is if that was the primary motive and the major motive he could have gone to another part of the country where that won't happen, right? Um, because he, he asks us, I've been asked sometimes, what led me to the Persian Gulf? What instinct told me yeah. that I could build up a business there? Page 41, okay? This is really per, uh-huh. perfectly simple. He he looks at it only purely at this point here about uh, it's purely simple. If you go to the hottest and the most uh uncomfortable place on the map you'll find that there's not a lot of competition in my experience most british pilots would rather go and so on so forth so you look, in this page he's saying that that but when i chose rochelle i did look at all i went and looked at all the board certified cardiovascular surgeons in the area and i found out there mm-hmm. was nobody in Dixon. there was nobody in Rochelle. nobody in decal there were only two guys in Rockford. And uh, mm-hmm. one of the things that I thought about was, I'll also come here and then practice in Rockford, but they won't let me in. They, they were my competition, so they won't let me in. Right. They said, you're So, far away. so again, from a business right. point of view, I kind of looked at this, you know, uh, before I first myself, there's not much competition there, like he's doing there. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm identifying with him. And there's one more place he talks about um, his mom is talking about a girl for him and keeps saying that you should make me meet a nice girl and things like that. And which oh, we don't know anyone up, like uh, that, right, you, you, probably, yeah, you probably don't know anybody like that. <laughs> but I think somewhere he says, uh, I should have underlined that, because somewhere he says about uh, I want to meet met Beryl, and uh, 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 he says, this is, um, uh, he's talking about the desert and things like that. And I think one point he says there, um, I don't know if I had married Beryl, if I, if, I, if I settled down with Beryl, I probably never would have come to the Middle East. He says that.
1: Right. So that part. So that's the interesting thing to me.
0: That spot will be right. going so with your hypothesis which probably is true. If he right. and bird,
1: settle down in England. This is another way of looking at it, too. Hmm. One to way to look, and like I said, this is just hypotheses. I'm not saying there's any strong evidence one way or the other, but it's interesting right. to play with the available data and see what fits certain things better, certain things worse. Like, one thing is like, okay, one could see this as a rational business decision. This is a uh, virgin market, uh, underdeveloped, yep. And I have yeah. a higher appetite for pain than my competition. Therefore, I have what business we would call an arbitrage opportunity. Yeah. You know, I can do this more cheaply than anybody else. And therefore, I will get right. outsized rewards. It's like, okay, that's right. one way of looking. And that's a legitimate way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it yeah. is that, you know, when he was in the Middle East, he was lost in his work. Right. And marriage and family uh, were not thoughts that troubled him at all. Right, right, and therefore, uh, apart from any logical reasons he gave himself uh, about why this is a valid business move or whatever, there's an emotional tug saying, you know, London, civilization, marriage, dating, all these things are horribly traumatic memories for me, and mm-hmm. I he doesn't think this way, but he feels this way. And his 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 soul, if you will, is yearning for just the honest pain of hard work uh, uh, in the desert, which is what he remembers, and that it's sort of an escape for him to go there. And I think it's at least an interesting hypothesis to our. Oh, that's possible. Yeah, no, it's possible. Yeah, you know. So, yeah. and that's what I thought was interesting.
0: Um, yeah, we'll see how, it the, see how it develops. because right, and, I'm sure there will be other things that will happen that will either uh, add to the story or disprove the story or, or hypothesis or what. Yeah. Yeah, they, they they will. You
1: yeah, uh, and, and with, with, in physics, unlike math, you don't ever you never prove or disprove things. You support. Uh, you either you know uh, the evidence is either for or against. Right. There's evidence mm-hmm. that seems to support this, and evidence that seems to refute this. Right? And you know, so we will, any, and sometimes it oscillates. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing
0: is, why does it have to be one motive? Some people will have more than
1: one motive to do certain things, right? Right, and, and that's the interesting thing about like what the story is about. It tells hmm. us um, what is, uh, like in any theory, there's certain data you take as primary and other data you take as irrelevant. Right, Mm. so like physics is all about looking at things like mass, charge, uh, energy, space, and time as primary, and things like color and configuration, um, you know, how much we how we feel about an object is considered irrelevant or secondary. And so, like different theories, and what's interesting about there's a saying in philosophy that um, all perception is theory laden which is kind of a way of saying that we tend to see what we're looking for and not see what we don't look for. Right. So when I was a child and I read this book, I was looking at it as an adventure story. I was looking for the plot. I was looking for right. uh, the right. ideas. Right. Yeah. Now looking at it from the perspective of a married man, I hmm. look at it. I, I see things about Tom's emotional reactions that sure. I couldn't have you know, cared less about. Cause I, I'm not looking for those things. And because I'm looking at, with you, my father, I'm thinking a lot about family relationships and marriage and parenting and, and these kinds of yeah. issues. And that's a lens I used to look at this story. And mm. it's interesting to look at this and say, you know, huh, every time I see a data point that, seems, that doesn't fit one of my existing narratives, I say, huh, is there at least a different narrative here? And it may not be a main narrative, it might be a subliminal narrative, it might be a profound narrative. I don't know yet, right? They're just different hypotheses of possible narrative threats. Yeah. And yeah, so because, you know,
0: like the same thing, same thing as you, when I uh, read this book when I was a teenager or something like that, I probably had a totally different idea what this book was about, and then, like I told you last week, I had a totally different view of this book. Huh, this is mirroring my life, and uh, uh, yeah. so, uh, you know, that's a little uh, different look at it, and I'm sure... Uh, 10 years from now, we do read it again, maybe <laughs> look at it differently. Right. And again, so, I think so we are at a disadvantage. This. I still keep saying that we are at a disadvantage because we are doing chapter by chapter and trying to guess what's gonna happen next. Whereas, yes, but it's a deliberate it disadvantage. Yeah, I think uh, the other thing is, I think what we should do after we finish this book is to look at the whole book, the book as a whole, and discuss some the yeah. things. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and absolutely. So anyway, I think it's cool, worth yeah. looking it, but that's not a bad. Yeah. So, uh, so one thing uh, I'll mention, because I didn't mention this yet, is that one of the ways I processed this was mm. I wrote a little vignette, which uh, maybe the only Neville Shoot fan fiction out there. It was, probably wasn't a big thing back then. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I wrote a little like all the of when you're Tom Cutter you say deep despair. I did a little fan fiction, uh, which I'll link to in the show notes, where I imagined a scene where Tom Cutter, when he was in despair and distress uh, mm. about uh, working in the downtown Southampton area where his wife right. and her family all li- had lived, uh, what right. if he had gotten to a church and talked about his feelings with a sympathetic you know, priest figure, father figure mm. person? And uh, you know, I call yeah. it round the bend and back again. No, yeah, I think you. I'm I, yeah, curious how you resonated with that story, uh, given that this was kind of a deviation from the narrative that you connected with uh, around Tom Cutter.
0: Well, I couldn't figure out a couple of things. When you said father, uh, then you says the guy says I'm not really a father, and going into forgiveness and things like that. Um, so I didn't know why you wrote it. Uh, now that you tell me that you wrote it, uh, yeah, that, that's a possibility. Yeah. Uh, so let me, you, let me tell you,
1: let me tell you what, so, so this is interesting. Let me tell you hmm. why I wrote this. Okay. Is I woke up early Sunday morning. And in fact, I think hmm. that we had some uh, problem with the dogs, okay. so We were waking up at nine because uh, of stomach, for, like stomach troubles. And uh, looking back, I think I would say that it triggered a mild hypomanic episode in the sense that I had two or three days in a row where I'd wake up at 4 a.m., have trouble getting back to sleep. And uh, I noticed on um, Wednesday afternoon that I was self forward enough to realize that I was, um, um, and somebody had pointed out to me as well, that I was sort of unusually impatient and talkative. And I okay, look back and say, yeah. mm-hmm. oh, okay, I can look back and see that I was feeling uh, um, you know, a, a higher than normal pressure to interrupt people that wasn't due to external pressures. It's not that mm-hmm. my environment was stressed, but I was feeling more internal pressure. i say, ah, okay, now I have a deeper sense of internally what a hypomanic episode looks like uh, mm-hmm. versus just hearing reports of other people externally of what they say it looked like to them. And so that's just an interesting data point is that I I have these hypomanic and this is the first time I've been able to observe one from the inside and kind of document how I was reacting to it. That's a side note we can go into some other time. But so the first time I woke up and it's like, okay, God, I'm awake. What should I, um, you know, I can't go back to sleep. What should I do, Mm -hmm. right? And I was thinking, well, it's funny. I could, there was this project I was working on with my friend for my podcast this afternoon. I think I could go work on Mm. that because that would be fun and that would be exciting and that would be easy. Mm. On the other hand, uh, I had some conflict I was trying to work through with my psychologist and Mm. I could try and work through that, that frustration or discomfort that I was feeling there. And it was Mm. really tempting to just focus on the easy technical problem Rather than the difficult relational problem. And when I thought that, I realized Mm. oh, that is exactly the point that I was making about Tom Cutter during our podcast Mm. last Friday. Is Mm. that, you know, the thing that is interesting to me about this uh, alternate narrative is that what the story seems like the story might be about uh, Tom Cutter's. reaction to different things i don't know yet right but he spends a lot of time setting up this marriage making it horrifically tragic and um i don't think he spent a lot of time only one chapter he didn't spend a lot of time two
0: chapters spent
1: more time setting up his business no the second chapter okay fair enough but fair enough but he the he spent you know half of the first chapter and maybe the first third of the second chapter you know processing this marriage thing but regardless you talked about how you uh resonated with the story of building a business yeah i resonated with this narrative of um a man who is um uh, it it is much more comfortable for him to lose himself in his work than to deal with difficult relational issues Hmm. right and so that, that was what I thought, OK, that's actually something worth exploring for me. And, you know, mm-hmm. dealing with it myself is hard. So I'll just work on getting Tom Cutter into therapy and see how that goes as a mm-hmm. way for me to just kind of wrestle with my own demons, if you will. And so I wrote this story about him going in and I just had him like sitting in a church and this father figure coming saying, what is it, son? He says, forgive me, father. I didn't mean to interrupt. And he was like, <laughs> it seemed like a plausible thing. He was hiding from. He said he couldn't bear the thought of seeing his wife's family, and it's like, well, it would be very natural that if he saw someone who looked like that, he would like hide inside a church,
0: right. um,
1: which is not an uncommon use for church. Uh, sometimes I think, anyway, um, and so th- he's sort of this, and what there were a couple of things that were interesting to me about these stories because I write these things stream of consciousness as I'm kind of just feeling my way through the characters. And originally, I thought of the father figure as you know very much like a god other type of savior mm. and uh, okay. this character coming to him and it's, there's a father figure out so and he says I just needed a break and the father asks, oh so what if you don't mind my asking what you need a break from and he, I was thinking like you know it was just like some uh, rector I guess uh, <coughs> that term even if I don't know what it means you know okay. he would say well he's probably just stressed about work or whatever and then he discovers that, no, actually, it's this really tragic situation with this girl and and all this. But what was interesting to me about the story was you know, when he asked that, uh, Tom Cutter like freezes up because like it's not just a simple little thing. Like he's not just getting away from the heat or getting away from the stress of work. It's this huge, horrific, tragic story of his life. And what was interesting to me is that my instinct there would have been to apologize. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to bring up any unpleasant emotions, but the character I was writing of the father figure didn't. He didn't either uh, get impatient, which is the other thing I do, or apologize. Uh, Those are the two ways that I typically cope when something uncomfortable happens. I try to reduce the stress. This character in the story does what I aspire to do but rarely do, which is to just sit with the tension and give the other person the chance to kind of tell their own story. And so that for me was actually one of the more emotional parts of the story was just that father figure standing there doing nothing, just being available to listen to uh Tom Cutter tell his story. And that was interesting to me, because that, that struck me emotionally. Uh if you want, I can go over it
0: again. if you want, I can go over it again and give you my
1: take on it. Does it help? Sure. Uh you know, uh, happy to. Um, I guess you're too busy reading two of the Devil Shoot novels. You didn't get to it this week, or you have, you didn't read it in detail. But oh, now, no, I anyway, you know, I, mean, you, you, think but this, I think it was good for you to read it after I give you my narrative of it, and then you can uh look at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't have to read it. But let me just kind of finish my narrative of, of what it was like writing this story. The second mm-hmm. thing that occurred, which surprised me, was originally I thought that, oh, this could be like, you know, Tom Cutter is someone like me and then the father figure is God. But then what happened was, is when um, Tom you know storms out saying, there's nothing for me here, Mm. the father figure says forgiveness, like in a whisper, and that Mm. like catches his ear. Mm. And the, uh, I forget exactly where it was in the story, but there's one point where Tom just says, you know, don't give me all this malarkey about forgiveness and everything happens for a reason and Jesus, blah, 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 right? He's very bitter yeah. and angry about Jesus. And this is a mm. frequent thing that happens to characters in my stories is they have a lot of angst and anger at religion and God. And uh, actually, one of my favorite things about my stories is that I feel like I am tapping into this, this thing that a lot of people who do not consider themselves Christians have these same feelings. And they Mm. often feel like they're not allowed to, you know, Christians don't want them to share that despair or disgust or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. But for me, like that is the the heart of the gospel is that Jesus can take all of that. And in fact, he had that. But one of the interesting consequences of that is I had to change who I thought the father figure was Mm. because I said, okay, like say he really did have that deep feeling and that deep hatred and pain. You know, some uh, saintly father figure who has a perfect marriage and a perfect life would have nothing to say to a man who hurt that, that badly. And so I, re- I had to rewrite in my head this character from being sort of a God, the Father, divine, saintly type of figure to being much more of a um, a fallen human being who had also experienced great trauma and loss and despair and could identify with Tom Cutter and that Tom Cutter could identify with. So I wrote a little backstory where the father figure uh, was, you know, had also known a girl and had it in an tragically and was full of despair and self-hatred and all of these things. Yeah. And, you know, he says, you know, I don't know. And and I had, he had, a, a mentor figure who was an ex-convict. So I didn't want to have like the same story, but someone who yeah. also knew about running away from shame and pain. And like, right. okay, that feels right to me. That someone like mm. this could have someone who'd had that level of pain see through his uh, religious facade and his running away and like, say like, I know the shame you're running from, um, mm. you know, don't do it. There's a better way. And, you know, the ex-con could say that to this father figure, and then the father figure could say it to Tom Cutter. And, you know, Tom Cutter doesn't necessarily believe him, but he doesn't reject him. You know, he's, yeah. it's very open-ended. It's not like a conversion story, but it's like, huh, you know, there's a connection there. And, you know, Tom, yeah. there is a chance, not a guarantee, but there's a chance Tom Cutter, next time you want him by that troops, say, huh, I wonder if that father figure guy is there. And maybe it would be worthwhile to just pop in and say hi, and who knows where that could lead. I'm not planning to make this a sequel unless it uh, uh, comes up in a later chapter, which seems unlikely. But, um, but to me, that was interesting in terms of this uh, narrative, mm. and it made me think. Uh, but that's all just sort of a preamble to the third narrative that I kind of the bomb I dropped at the end of the last episode where I said, well, I have another even more radical narrative uh, that I was thinking of sharing, but I'm not sure I want to at this point because even, my, even okay. my mild one freaked you out a bit. Okay. So, do you want to hear it? So there was oh, a couple that struck me as odd. Okay, so hmm. we're going for this, right? Okay, hold on. My dog is busy barking at the neighbor's for some reason, so I need to make sure he does
0: not Which dog is this? Robin. Quinn,
1: actually, you know, Quinn is uh, I think he's searching for squirrels or something. They've been doing a lot of squirrel attacks the last uh, month or so, which, to be fair, the squirrel started it by dropping walnuts on our head. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay. Quinn, let, let the squirrels live. Okay. I think it's unless there's a, I mean, we're marking at the back fence where there used to be another girl dog that... I uh, used to go right, visit right, <laughs> through the right, hole in the back right. before we patched it up, and she moved out. Yeah. Uh, well, so they we moved not out. Yeah, that neighbor moved out. Yeah, we used to have two dogs, one on either side of us, two Labradors, and both of them moved, although one of them comes back oh. to visit because uh, the owner's son oh, still was here. Anyway, regardless. Anyway, okay. the, the third narrative that I wanted to haul out is that hmm. there were a couple of of odd things that I noticed that struck me as odd. And like Mm. I said, I don't have an opinion on this. This could be purely, uh, um, you know, random correlations of different points. But I felt like, you know, part of this experience is to look at, you know, things that don't fit into the existing narrative and say, huh, is there a thread here that maybe will turn into something later, okay? Okay. So the funny thing to me about chapter one is this this Mm. weird sort of asymmetry between Tom Cutter's relationship with Connie and Tom Cutter's relationship with his wife. Um, Okay. And, like, the, uh, like, like, Connie feels like a really well-developed character, and we know the rest of the book's going to be about him, right? But, like, he has this defining characteristic that he's fascinated by religion. Yeah. Uh, And always going to churches and mosques and... uh, Right. Right. synagogues and things like that. Right, so that's interesting. Whereas, uh, um, and the other thing that is, okay, so that's one interesting point, right? And we know, I think, we, there's a good, strong narrative that you know the whole mechanic airplane mechanic narrative feeds into that. But what was interesting to me, it was contrasted with the the wife who just seems to be interested in love, <laughs> right? She doesn't seem to yeah. have any passions or interests or whatever, and it's it's kind of two dimensional. The other thing that was just odd, I mean, I noted it at the time, is that he first meets Connie when he's getting married to Connie in this fake burlesque parody airplane right. thing, right? Yeah, right. And of yeah. course, you can say, well, it was just weird. But, you know, this was something the author very deliberately chose to do mm-hmm. as his way of introducing us to Connie, that they're, like, running away together in this fake car. And, you know, the, the two things that struck me was, one, uh, uh, when he first introduced Connie, like you weren't sure if it was a boy or a girl. Uh, right, yeah. Right, because right, the name yeah. Connie, at least to modern ears, yeah, I don't know what it was like maybe. in the 1930s, feels like a girl's yeah. name. And then when he meets Connie, he's the one playing the girl. Uh, right. right? He, uh, Tom Cutter is playing the girl, and they get married over and yeah. over again all these times. And it's just like yeah. they were all hugging and kissing and doing all these things as part of the play. But it's like, okay, it's it, 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 in some strange way, Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, it seems to imply that in some ways, like, again, I don't know, it it could just be random facts, but it feels like the way that the author's setting it up is that there's some odd contrast between the way he was married to his wife, whose name I don't even remember, (laughs) and Connie. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, there's also a sense in which Connie was the one who seemed to have like a clear exterior sense of identity like his desire to go to these churches and Tom would get dragged along with him on occasion, whereas Tom was just kind of living in the moment and doing his own thing. So it was almost like Connie seemed to sort of wear the pants in the relationship, if I may use that phrase. Uh, And then he had more of an identity outside of their immediate context. So that was one interesting fact. The second interesting fact was that uh, Tom uh, found out his wife was cheating on him he seemed mostly annoyed at being interrupted and that she was making a big drama about it and that she was being gullible. He didn't seem to feel any like jealousy or anger uh, that his wife had been unfaithful to him. It was a very strange reaction. You know, I thought that was odd. And then the Hmm. third thing, which is where my uh, bizarre radical narrative comes out was that when I was reading at the very end, we get to the point where he's, you know, to go back to our plot, he's like, uh, doing uh, an errand um, for his airline and he's also a desperate need of another airplane mechanic to take his place so he can grow the yeah. business and scale it up. Yeah. And he runs into Connie where he's just staying mm. at this, this one bunkhouse and he describes yeah. him as, and he was naked except that mm. he was wearing shorts. Yeah. It's like, huh, that's a pretty, uh surprising and unexpected. Mm. And well, this is my crazy hypothesis I'm just putting out there as an interesting mm. narrative thread, mm. is that if you just string those facts together without context, mm. you know, you could make a there, – there, there exists uh, the possibility that there is some sort of, let's call it, pseudo-romantic connection between mm. Tom and Connie. Constantine. In fact, okay. you know, if you had a more modern uh, uh, mind than I do, like some of my relatives uh, 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 or in-laws, you would say, huh, you could make a case that Tom Cutter was a subconscious homosexual. I would not make that case. I, I don't think a homosexuality is a fixed identity or in those terms. But I can see how someone would look at this, and you could construct a narrative and say, well, you know, Tom has this sort of latent homosexual uh, attitude, and that's why he's going through all the forms of getting married, but he was never really emotionally connected to his wife. Mm -hmm. And he's actually got a stronger connection to Constantine uh, of this indefinable. Uh, attraction, which I don't even have a good name for, because I don't, yeah. sorry, I don't accept the exact yeah. categories that homosexuals use to describe it. But there's clearly something there that they experience, and that thing there might—it seems like, you know, the fact that his first sorry, saw the, the first word he said they used to describe it was because the, the phrase, you know, naked except for shorts, is an unusual mm. way of describing it, right? Is, is that like well, there's a know, I,
0: that's that so, no, no, I'm of saying. Writing it. No, I, think I, think I think you're, you're, this you're right. You know, yeah, I think the I think the hypothesis and it's possible. But you know, first of all, we cannot ask Neville Shoot What do you think about it? Because he's gone. Second thing is, right. A um, uh, couple of things I want to point out. This was written in 1939 or something like that. Uh, no, it was. It was <power>.
1: After the war. So maybe
0: 51, 1960s, maybe 51. Was, I think it was 51. Yeah, 51.
1: <laughs> In the 1950s, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe possibly so, some of his so novels were as like 1962 subject. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But it was established, but it was not. On. I mean, that actually strengthens the hypothesis, frankly, because yeah. if you were going to write a story which had a homosexual character, it would have to be really <laughs> subtle like this. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but then even, uh, no, we can even, talk about it more as, as the story goes along, we can talk about it more. The other thing is just because he uh, didn't think too much about his wife having an affair does not mean that his tendencies are the way because it happened to Shant. You know, Shant, she had an affair, but he completely forgave her and took her back. Um Right, yeah, so there's a, a shot, well, yeah. that, so it didn't seem to bother him. Well,
1: so like I said, <laughs> any a lot, a lot one stories, by itself.
0: There are a lot of other stories right, where but... we have had so many stories where the wives have taken the husbands back. Similar situations right, but, that well, they were willing well, But
1: there's to a difference that. between, she mentions. The, But mm. actually, this is actually a really good discussion about an issue that I'm working through with my psychologist this week, is what is the nature of forgiveness and reconciliation? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, because, you know, my understanding, there's a wonderful Father Brown novel uh, mm. where G.K. Chesterton wrote the story of, of a uh, nobleman who appears to have killed his, 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 he was in the towel, and his evil twin brother showed up, and the nobleman killed him. Mm. And uh, Father Brown says, you know, you've done a grievous deed. Even if you were justified, you really need to make penance and to experience forgiveness for the horrible thing Mm. that you did. And so he makes him Mm. give all this grueling penance. And the house people, say, why are you being so harsh on this guy? You know, like, it was totally justified. It was not a big deal. You really need Mm. to, um, you know, lighten up. But then it comes out that, in fact, the evil twin had switched roles with the nobleman, and he had shot the nobleman and, and dressed him up in his clothes. So it actually Mm. turned out was the evil twin that survived, and then the townspeople are like furious and angry. Mm. And uh, Father Brown says to them, "See, you never really forgave him. You just decided it didn't matter because it was Mm. someone you liked who had killed someone you hated. Once it turned Mm. around and it was someone you hated because someone you liked, suddenly you're angry again. You won't forgive him. It's like you—that's not really forgiveness." Mm. Whereas I, as a priest, I genuinely work through his guilt and his forgiveness. So now that the identities are swapped, I don't care. Like I've already mm. done the hard work of forgiveness. And mm. I think what, you know, I don't know any of the details, but I think in those contexts where there have been marriages which have been deeply damaged by betrayal, mm. uh, there is a process you have to go through to forgive. It is not right. just like, oh, it's no big deal, let's just deal with it. And so, uh, certainly it is possible to do that, but the way the story is presented, it's like it never even occurs to him not to forgive her or not to take her back. And that's still curious. Now, again, this was wartime. This was the 1940s. This was the, uh, you know, he was under enormous pressure. There's lots of other reasons. And by itself, it's not a, like, conclusive piece of evidence, but it's still a curious data point. Okay,
0: I think that's why uh, I think it's worth uh, including. Yeah,
1: in the interest of time, I'll say that,
0: This point is a good hypothesis. We'll see what happens.
1: Yeah. Okay. There may be other other things that
0: may happen, and I I will remember this, and then we can talk about it at a later stage when a different data point comes up that may disprove this
1: hypothesis. So we'll see. Yeah, and that's all. This is this is this is all that I can ask for. My father is that we look at the data, and we have a chance to get enough. You know, we want to be mostly involved enough that we care what happens to the characters. But know for most listeners, we can say, well, you know, maybe this guy is really being a jerk, or maybe this guy is really being a coward, or maybe this guy, you know, has some uh, unusual characteristic. And we can just hold those as abstract ideas to play with, uh, rather than the, you know, more emotional conversations about actual people and ourselves. <laughs> That's okay. the whole reason yeah, why I, I think it's for the podcast. Yeah, so today we choose faces; These are just little facades we can put on and take off. And play with, but so again, you know, uh, too. It, is,
0: it is also possible that you may be uh, giving more importance to some of the minutiae than it's really yeah. needed. Because you know, sometimes when you're writing a story, you mention a lot of things, and then uh, you don't really them. think hard about uh, what the consequences of this is, and things like you just write the story um right so like the way i remember the story you different in the sense yeah. yeah you write the story differently uh but never should well, yeah,
1: yeah. well it's interesting yeah but you know this is the question right because my recollection of the story is that it was really straightforward from here on out he just hires constantine and he sort of feels a little weird about constantine's messianic mission but he just he's basically focused on like how do i just keep the business running right so that was the the, the, pri- the primary narrative is uh, really just him, his lovely airplane as a framing. And this was just a, you know, plot device to kick him out of England and send him over to the Middle East where he could run into Connie again. Maybe we'll never run into any of these themes again. And that'll be the end of it. Uh, but you never know. Or I don't know because I haven't read the book in uh, 40 years. So, right. Or 30 right. some years. So, we'll, this is the this why I said it's exciting is we can form hypotheses. And then we can have them either supported or refuted or okay. evolved. And uh, you know, they say that if you read literary fiction, it builds your empathy. And I have no idea what that means, um, mm. except that I remember there's certain stories that I that I read that there was one, uh, the, the, the bear story, uh, the Go Down Moses by um, Steinbeck or somebody like that. Um, mm. And the, uh, it was really hard reading for me. And I realized, like, huh, because the story didn't, like there was the hardly any plot to latch onto. It's characters yeah. kind of having these long and conversations and these sort of bizarre introspective things. I realized maybe that's what they mean is that the only way you can get through these stories is by reading them at this really intense level where you're really trying to grapple with what this character could be thinking and might be thinking and should be thinking and i don't know if that's true and is that yeah doesn't necessarily make me like literary fiction but at the same time i think, I, I think that it you know, there reflects is just value in
0: that it reflects on you more than it reflects on the author because i read it very lightly i don't go deep into these things because i read different kind of novels and uh, uh i don't get emotionally involved with them and uh i don't look deep into their motives and uh all those things, I just accept it as it is, and this is the way this guy is writing. I may not agree with him, or I like the way he writes, but uh, you do it differently. You are you're, you're wired differently. You want to analyze right. even that, even the even uh, reading a reading a novel. You want to analyze it much deeper. So, but that's the way you are. So, what can you do? Right, but, but <laughs> interesting
1: to me is different type of novels make different demands. Right, So that like this is easier reading than Zelazny, right? And Zelazny yeah. is way easier reading than Steinbeck, you know, the one Steinbeck novel I read. And like I have yeah. no desire to read Steinbeck novels again, because that's just so much work for me. <laughs> but I can appreciate yeah. that, like, okay, he's talking about really deep, painful issues about the South and slavery and segregation. Maybe that was the only yeah. way he could write about it. And people yeah. love that sort of thing. They love that challenge, right? It's just like some people like yeah. to climb yeah. mountains rather than going on hikes. Uh, but what's interesting right. to me is that really good writing, to me, I think it's actually a higher art and, you know, I think we've talked about this before or at least on the Wikipedia page, is that Neville Shoot has a lot of these themes about spirituality and mysticism yeah. juxtaposed yeah. against this hard mechanic engineering mindset right. and like, you know, so there's something there that's real to him that he is yeah. grappling with and dealing with in this story and, you know, And I think that that to me, it's actually cool that there's a story like Shakespeare. You can read it just purely for the plot and the character and and the, you know, the characters. Or you can read it for all these deep cosmic psychological themes of love and betrayal and identity. And like, you know, one of the things I aspire to in my own writing is turn right out of the things I'm feeling and experiencing and wrestling with and struggling with because it helps me uh, make sense of my own life. And it does, you know, what I can do. Yeah. What people are playing Hello. and what yeah. they're going through. Yeah. All right, this was a much less uh, chaotic and interrupted conversation than last week. <laughs> so thank you, Father. Right, Connor.
0: right, yeah. No, really thank you and, for going uh, over there, even though it was it turned out to be that it was not needed. But I'm glad you went there because I
1: appreciate that. Because yeah, for those who were following along, and, and, in case anyone, yeah, you know, their grandchildren yeah. will hopefully, so, yes. Yeah. So it turned out that uh, it was totally a, a uh, false alarm in that, that, yes, they were trimming the hedges, but the, the people doing it were professional enough that they could go in behind the cars and clean yeah. them. And it was all over by the time I got there. And there were a couple of cars that were too close to the hub, shrubbery where they couldn't uh, uh, move them, and they just left them they weren't towed, it was no crisis, no disaster, yeah, no yeah, big deal, yeah. it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we didn't know that. And it was sort of the second or third or fourth hand communication to us, so we couldn't interrogate them to say, like, the question I wish I, I, I had been able to ask, which I don't think you did answer is like, if we don't move the car, what happens? Right? Because my assumption was that if this is such a big deal, it must be like, oh, they're gonna tow the car. And that's why it's a big deal. But it's like, no, they'll be a few they don't get rushed. It's like, then I said, well, if I know the consequences, then I can make a rational choice to just ignore it. But in the absence of knowledge, I feel this obligation yeah. to assume the worst outcome in yeah, order right. to take had, it seriously. We had a car towed once before. So right, exactly. You again. and I both had that traumatic experience. <laughs> when we did. And then we had to get help from some yeah. other third person and inconvenience them in order to get yeah. the car back. And so it was like not just yeah. personally, but socially painful. And so, like, you know, and that's why we have these uh emotional imperatives and hang ups that lead us to making suboptimal decisions. But you know, you do the best you can with the information you have. Um and, you know, you, you trust like that was the thing, like, okay, this wasn't the story I was planning to tell with Life Friday, but I'm trusting that God's in this story anyway. And so I will just flow with it and I'll cancel certain things and reschedule other things. And uh they were different. Like there was a meeting I was gonna do for oh last little bit of the commercial here. So hmm. next Thursday, uh, my cousin, Dialin will be at your house. And yeah. since he, uh, here I wanted to do one of my Discipleing by Jesus events with him but, on uh, Thursday, have, 2nd. Yeah, see,
0: we have a, a luncheon planned with him, with Pastor Joy and another pastor. On Ooh, I thought so, you
1: told me that you were free at that. He was free all day for me to do stuff with him.
0: Yeah, things have changed. We are putting, we're adding more things, <laughs> but...
1: Uh, uh, we'll see, uh, you know, So, so dad, in in so talking. dad, okay, mm. so dad, slow down. Mm. Um, so I was told that he was mm. available for me all day. So I took the day off of work and have scheduled oh, things okay. I told other people about. Okay. So given the fact that mm. my additional information turned out to be incorrect, it is kind of time sensitive for me to fix that because I need to know when he's available. Whether he's available all day, um, and you know, I also like need to reschedule this DBJ event, which I like designed specifically so he could attend at ten o'clock my time, yeah. which is twelve o'clock your time, which is exactly at lunch.
0: Yeah, because I didn't
1: realize that uh, you were going to arrange this, Ernie. Yeah, um, but so, so someone told I, I, I me he was available all, all day. The whole
0: day but, is free for you. I don't remember saying the whole day is available to you.
1: Okay, so I, I didn't realize that.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, either that I didn't hear it at all, or just, um, I'm misunderstood yeah, maybe because you meant the afternoon we didn't
1: think you were going to understand how literally things. I would take it and and how I would yeah. run with it. So uh, if you can talk to mom and figure out exactly what you guys have scheduled. I mean, from my perspective, if you could schedule him hmm. to have breakfast or things earlier in the day because you know that's before my day starts. Because I was hoping to have, you know, do this with him, having some one-on-one time with him, getting some time for the kids to talk in the afternoon or evening, like that. And so, um, I was hope. That's what I was. Okay. Why don't we? we send the podcast? No, the, call back. Okay. When the podcast. <laughs> we'll it later. All right. No. Call,
0: call, call
1: you I right said, back. Said, I'll call you right back. Okay. Call you right back.
0: I, okay. Bye. Bye, man. I love you. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>